Can you present your other patient? The other one is not typical. This is an 85-year-old lady, and she was diagnosed with breast cancer in 1999, and was on the left side, and 3.5 centimeter, nook negative, ERPR positive, and she underwent lumpectomy and radiation therapy. And the pertinent history is that she's been on Coumadin for cardiac reasons, probably intermittent atrial fibrillation. And the early part of the care was not through me, and it was somebody else, and then transferred to me. So she was on tamoxifen, radiation therapy, and changed to Arimidex. On December 04, and we noticed that there's some skin changes. It looked like infection. It was hot in her left breast. That's the irradiated breast. And we gave her antibiotic, fail, including intravenous antibiotic, and eventually we biopsy. And after a few weeks of treatment, it was angiosarcoma. I asked for a C-kit. It was positive. So I put her on Gleevec. And she has some response to Gleevec. It was kind of indurated tumor and become softer. And I don't know what to do with her. You know, this is a tough situation. And that is a really horrendous mess. So we decided to do a mastectomy on her. And shortly after mastectomy, the skin lesion popped up about a month or so later. And it grew real fast and all over the place. And more than 5 or 10, something like that. So I gave her a weekly taxol and didn't see any change in two weeks. And I thought, well, this angiosarcoma, I'm going to give Avastin along with it. So about a few weeks later, the lesion fell away. And she was on this treatment for months. And in October 05, we have to stop that placotaxol because of neuropathy in this old lady and continue her on Avastin. In January 06, that's about eight months later, we noticed on the other side of the breast, there was a mass there. And we noticed there was a progression of disease, and the x-ray nook popped up real fast, pretty large, and we stopped the Avastin. Did you biopsy the other side? Well, we did biopsy, and we don't know what to do with this. Uh, it was still it was yeah. the angiosarcoma on the other side? Yeah, on the other side. We discussed what to do because I think this area is going rotten. <laughs> so we don't know what's the best way to deal with it. And of course... We never consider radiation therapy under this setting. We decide just do a mastectomy. It's a simple mastectomy, and she has no distant disease. And she died a few months later of diarrhea pneumonia. She's an elderly woman. I was out of town. At the time she died, what was the tumor status? I don't think she has any disease anywhere. We did a CAT scan a month after the mastectomy, and there was no disease in any other places. So she may have some disease in May, but I was not there and she died. And because her age and other problem, it was real quick to put her on DNR and she died. And so she was on Avastin for about seven, eight months with a pretty good palliation. Without the Taxol? With Taxol. Taxol was discontinued because of neuropathy. Yeah, but I wonder how long was she on Avastin without the Taxol? Three months. She didn't progress? Um, Three months later progress. On the other side. I mean, it was another side. This, uh, do you call it a new primary or metastasis? I don't know. But it was an angiosarcoma on the other angiosarcoma. side. Angiosarcoma, yeah. And the mass was pretty big, 24 positive nodes. Mass was 13 centimeters. It was just really growing real fast. So there was no reason for me to continue Avastin. Dan, can you comment on this case and on angiosarcoma? And do we know about Avastin with angiosarcoma? I don't, but angiosarcoma is a rare diagnosis, post-radiation therapy. I've only had one case myself. It's a surgical disease to a great degree. And beyond that, it's CD appends. 
And whether you treat this like an, a capacies, which is almost analogous, I would have to do a medline search to see whether either vinca alkaloids have any effect or thalidomide have any effect, but I doubt anybody studied this in more than one or two cases. There's going to be no large trials. You did well for guessing. I think the radiation-induced angiosarcomas, though, are a subtype that you almost have to view distinct from de novo angiosarcomas. Yes, they're different, right. and that's what I'm saying. It's very difficult to know what to do with them. There's another part I think I want to mention about the financial part. Because I put down diagnosis angiosarcoma, yeah. and Medicare refused to reimburse. And we appeal and appeal and appeal. And basically, our office is like a bank paying all the bills. Because you had a good response, I feel I cannot stop the treatment. You told me you sent Medicare the pictures of the response. Said, well, there's families and the pictures and all that. It didn't work. You only went to congressman, it didn't work. And so I think it would be nice if ASCO have some guideline that in a rare tumor, if whatever XYZ therapy works, you have a good result. We ought to make the insurance to pay for it if you have document good result. I can't speak to ASCO policy, but I think there actually is a significant initiative at the state level, not ASCO, but at the state level in various locales to accomplish what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, I'm in charge of the off-label use for New York State for oncology drugs. And the arrangement that we currently have, which doesn't work all that well, is that we need two peer review articles plus a position statement for off-label use. And otherwise, they say that's very interesting. It's a single case. It's your problem. Well, this is, we don't have any data yeah, but on So this. that doesn't address his concern. Well, I'm just saying that, unfortunately, if he were in New York and called me up, I right. couldn't help him. Right. It would be nice if they can look at the outcome, whatever it is. You have good outcome. I think they ought to make an exception. I think. Yeah, but, I mean, you shouldn't have to treat somebody and hope that you get a response so you can get paid for it. Right. Yeah. That is the right, case. You're setting yourself up to is actually get hit that financially every time because this yeah. might work one in five times. Yeah. The other four, you're not going to send them good pictures. The only thing one, <laughs> <I don't. laughs> one can do in this setting is appeal to the company prior to use of the drug yeah. and see whether they would yeah. give you replacement. Well, we did get a replacement. We registered the patient. Uh, All right, so uh, well, you did register. Okay. Yeah, about a year or so later. Yeah. $150,000. Right. That's expensive. Well, yeah, it's a fair sum. Interest on 150. You're the bank. That's so, why I feel like a bank. <laughs> no, I think this is. Hey, a major, I'm not buying stock in you. <laughs> no, 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 this is a major problem in the private practice of medical oncology, and things have changed very quickly in the last two to three years, maybe the last one year, because now what we do with patients is much different than what we used to do. In that regard, we have to hire new people to work to check a patient's insurance and get pre-qualified especially with the drugs which are single sources, because there's where we take the risk. When Medicare last year in Florida decided not to pay for three drugs for three months, because essentially they ran out of money, but they claimed they were just making sure the patient's drugs were appropriate, they never denied payment for three months on two drugs, they just delayed payment. In three months, our group of physicians nearly went bankrupt. So what's happening now is we're sending any really expensive drug that we're not sure we're going to get reimbursed, we send them to the hospital to get their treatment. And the hospital, the only one hospital in our area that will do this, that will take these patients, is maybe 15 miles away from one of my offices. This is what I was describing before. I can't give bevacizumab even where it's likely to be indicated until the reimbursement is assured. There's zero risk taken now on that drug. Any other comments? I think your problem is partially because of this tremendous stress on 
evidence-based. Evidence-based is very good when you can get evidence on common diseases with what we know outcomes. But when you're dealing with a very rare disease where you can't produce evidence, we practically buried ourselves by saying evidence that much. And I think that's the problem. I think the other point we should point out is that there are certain drugs now that we can't use because you take a tremendous hit. The most important advocate when they go to Congress is you bring in patients and let them see what the patients, who are the voters, think. When doctors go in, they think you're just a bunch of self-serving guys and, you know, you guys aren't losing money. I mean, we're pretty isolated. We don't think the way the MBAs do. It's not even just that. I agree with Cy completely. But I actually think informed patients are better partners. And I think that if the information about cost and profit was out there and a patient came to you and challenged you as to why you're making the choice you're making, that's all to the good because you have evidence to support your choice or you don't. And in the end, that's fine. It may be that the more expensive treatment is absolutely worth it despite the risk to the patient or to the doctor. And you would have to say that. But it's not a cabal that we keep secrets. And you should also tell patients... If a drug is horribly expensive, when they see the Medicare reimbursement, you know, for Avasta, they think that's all profit to you. Our biggest problem happens to be that if we aren't extraordinarily careful about getting pre-approval before giving an expensive drug, that there will be a denial. We participate in most insurance. Mm-hmm. So that denial means we can't go back and charge a patient for a drug that we bought that the insurance company decided to deny. We just had an example where a patient receiving Herceptin in the adjuvant setting every three weeks changed insurance on January 1st. On January 11th, she came in for her three-week dose, same as she had always had, but she had changed insurance on January 1st. She showed us the new card, and we submitted that claim, but hadn't gotten pre-approval. That's been denied. And just that, because it's not pre-approved, not because it's not indicated. Absolutely. And we can't go back... Yeah and get approval for a drug that she's been receiving that previously was accepted. We're out the dollars for that one dose, about $2,500. So She's registered on Spock. Well, the presumption... But that's you have to have under $75,000 income, I believe. Yeah, Yeah, it's actually higher now. But in that situation, the patient becomes the best advocate in terms of dealing with the insurance company. But our problem is that I don't think we can't because we have a contract with the insurance company. We cannot balance bill that patient. It's our mistake. And although we can ask her to be the advocate, we can't force her to pay us for the drug that we've already purchased. Do you think that we as a CME group should be addressing these issues like this discussion or not? I mean, I really struggle with this because I'd rather talk about clinical research. No, but Neil, let me say this. This is so arcane and difficult that what you have here is an inversion of your usual system. I will say this. Most academics have no idea what this discussion is about. And it's critically important because that's where most care is delivered. And I think you would do a very big service for people to shed a lot of light on this and explain the challenges out there. Let me say one more thing. I think to at least peripherally you have to get into it because there is this underlying assumption that choices are being made on economic grounds. And since that assumption is widespread and out there, among some listeners, it's worth dealing with it at least briefly to point out that, in fact, it cuts the other way. These are a couple of examples where expensive drugs are selected against, not for. 